This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. TL Talk Radio, Season 3, Episode 12. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 12 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funy-Hatton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funy-Hatton. Good afternoon, Randy. Hello, Lynn. How you doing? <laughs> I am great. So thrilled today that we're going to be talking with Dr. Michelle Borba, author of Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World. Um, excited to hear from Dr. Borba as uh, her topic really connects with our profile of a graduate. Dr. Borba is an internationally renowned educational psychologist and an expert in parenting, bullying, and character development. She's an award-winning author of 22 books. Many have been translated to other languages. One of our nation's foremost authorities on child development, Dr. Borba appears as a regular contributor on Today and a featured expert on Dateline, The View, Dr. Phil, NBC Nightly News, Fox and Friends, The Dr. Oz Show, and The Early Show. So uh, Dr. Borba certainly keeps busy, and uh, we appreciate the time that we have with her today. Absolutely. Welcome, Michelle. Oh, thank you, so delighted to talk to you all. Well, we're very excited to talk to you about this topic of empathy. And uh, we've been inspired by your book. And I actually watched your TED Talk the other day and uh, was very, it was riveting, very uh, interesting. Love the stories that you share in there. So maybe we'll hear a little bit about some of that too. Let's start off with the topic of your book, Unselfie. What would you say is the big driving question behind writing that book? It was one statistic from the University of Michigan that was frying me, and that is they've been tracking incoming college freshmen across zip codes for over 30 years with this simple little narcissism personality test on how likely are you to step in and help or being concerned about others. And what they began to see around the year 2000 was an absolute nosedive in empathy. Our teens' empathy has actually decreased almost 40% in 30 years, while at the same time, it's increased in terms of narcissism, 58%. Well, there's a wake-up call for every educator because when narcissism goes up, empathy goes down, bullying goes up, racism goes up, hate goes up, and everything that every educator from east to west coast is telling me is happening is happening right now. So then it was, if it's happening, what's causing it? And most importantly, what can we educators do can to really turn this trend around so we raise kids who are smart in mind as well as in their hearts 
sounds like if we if we can crack this nut of empathy, it might have sort of domino effect on a lot of the other issues and challenges that we're not only facing in our schools, but certainly in our world. Go back and you mentioned that word narcissism or narcissist. What what exactly, how do you define that as a psychologist? Well, I define it in terms of the title of the book, the opposite. It's a kid who's a selfie. They're constantly focused only on themselves, consider their own needs. It's a me-oriented child. And what we realize is that that child is less likely to want to hear where another person's coming from, certainly not use uh, conflict resolution strategies that we're trying to do, not listening for heart and our meaning, more concerned about their own needs. And those are disastrous, not only in a classroom, in a safe and caring school environment, but we're looking at leaders across the world who are telling that they may have the GPA that's in the you know 4.0s or now 7.3s. They may be way up there, but the problem is, is that our children are not really focusing on each other. So what happens if we continue down that path of self-absorption, the, the selfie syndrome? Um, you know, how do we, what's going to happen to us? What are the challenges or dangers? And, you know, why should we prioritize both parents and families and schools, the idea of empathy? Well, first of all, there's a tremendous advantage to it that I think most parents in particular don't realize. And that is when I started to call the, all the research about it, it began to say that number one, it's, it really does raise a happier child. And that's what every parent wants because the joy is from the inside out, not wanting all the brands, uh, the materialism, the what do I look like, who am I and where to get. It fuels their passion. It fuels their innovation. It fuels their leadership, so they're almost more likely to be able to be concerned about others. They become a team player, a more collective player, and that's what we certainly need in today's new world. It's a brave new world where that that di the diversity is going to be a huge piece, and it's going to be a more global world. Mental health needs are going to be much stronger for our children, uh, less more stress, because when I begin to look at what are the habits that really are going to cultivate empathy. First of all, it's under the umbrella already of social emotional learning, so this isn't new. This isn't tacking on one more thing. It comes under the umbrella of the Safe and Caring School Initiative. But what I'm asking educators to do is look at the nine habits in Unselfie and then say, which ones are we not doing or which ones are we already doing? And then figure out how to just take this up a notch because in the end, this is what we want. It's a child who's also going to be more likely to be pro-social to be courageous. This is the leader. This is the kid we all want. It's the good kid. In your book, you mentioned you talk about these nine habits or competencies. Uh, and as I was reading this, I made so many connections because we've been doing this work around the profile of the graduate and talking specifically about dispositions. And many of these things kept surfacing. And, and one of the things that I'm intrigued by is this idea of students working together and building their empathy muscles around collaborative practices. As educators, what kinds of suggestions do you have for us or what can we do to implement uh, best practices around collaboration to support the development of empathy? Well, the best news is when I started collecting the research and the science to support what does enhance our children's empathy, over and over again, many of the best practices we already use in our schools are absolutely in line. For instance, classroom meetings. 
not only does research say they book ac boost academic achievement, they also boost empathy. It's my turn and it's your turn. It helps children also tune in and practice emotional literacy, which is the first habit of what we know is empathy. You can't feel for another human being unless you can read their emotions. Cooperative learning. David and Roger Johnson years back told us that, yes, this is what it's going to help our children boost their academic achievement. But the footnote also in their research says it also boosts their empathy skills. The other thing that we know, it, it, if we do it right, jigsaw learning. Remember old Elliot Aronson did some phenomenal research on the jigsaw lessons? And he actually implemented those based on what a sheriff asked him to do is how are we going to help kids in different races get along and stop the race riots that were breaking out in Texas. He created the jigsaw lesson. So the bottom line is we have so many of these that are gonna infuse into what we're already doing. It's just gonna make our classrooms more engaging for our students, boost their academic achievement, but also give them the practice for these things called empathy building. And I think that's the big, biggest mistake I see. I, I've gone into some classrooms and I see empathy as a worksheet or it's a word of the month. And I've got kids who have come up to me and from the TED Talk, that was how he came up with me. And I asked this one little guy, why does this, it was bringing a baby in. And it was absolutely phenomenal because the baby comes in once uh, every six weeks or so. The kids can't wait for the baby to come in because uh, it's our baby, it's roots of empathy. And what they actually are doing is they don't realize it, but they're having a real life lesson in emotional literacy. How does Clara seem to feel today? Well, she looks frustrated, says the kids. Oh, how do you know, asks the teacher, because their hands are in fists. So what should we do to make her feel better? I'm going, this is just brilliant. But I asked the kid next to me, why does this work? And he said, well, it's because empathy is a verb. <laughs> how precious is that of a third grader? He said, you got to feel it and do it. You don't learn it on a worksheet. It's not a one-time lecture. You got to experience it. And so many of the experiences we do in our classrooms, that fits that model. It's mm -hmm. got to be real and meaningful or it doesn't apply and it won't be transformational and help our kids develop empathy from the inside. So I'm wow, making all kinds of connections to that and thinking about some of the things our teachers do and thinking about us as leaders and how are we modeling that for our, for our teachers and our students. So um, lots going through my mind. We're a one-to-one -one district. We created this profile of a graduate. Um, our students have access to a lot of technology. So like most others, they're pretty plugged in. Um, what impact do you think technology and our plugged in culture has on uh, this empathy crisis? Huge. <laughs> and I'm sure every educator is nodding their head up and down going, huge. Now, what happened around the year 2000 when narcissism went to go way up and University of Michigan found empathy dipping. Our kids became more and more plugged in. Mm. In our middle school, our tweens would already tell us that they'd rather text than talk. So they're more comfortable looking at a screen as opposed to the face of another human being. Where is the first habit of empathy? You gotta turn and look at the person's face to be able to know he's sad. I feel with him. Therefore, I'm gonna do something to step in. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't just wonderful opportunities to use technology for the good. I've seen kids Skyping, uh, Skyping from a classroom in Detroit to a classroom in Rwanda, where kids are understanding different views and becoming pen pals and Skype pals with one another. I always tell parents, you know, don't just keep texting, but utilize FaceTime so that you can have your child go home and 
take a phone call to grandma, but you can also prime him. Watch grandma's face real carefully because you'll know when she's too tired. You'll know when it's time to say goodbye. There's so many of those opportunities, but I fear that wonderful thing called face-to-face -face connection, if we're not careful, is becoming a real lost art with our children. And when face-to-face -face connection goes, then therefore goes empathy. So following up on that, um, what suggestions do you have for managing our children's use of technology, you know, both in our schools and out of our schools? You gave the example of FaceTime and, and calling grandma. You know, I have an eighth grader and technology is off, often a challenge in, <laughs> in my house. Um, so what suggestions do you have for, for us as teachers, leaders, parents? Well, here's a few things that I instantly tell parents is number one is model what you want because 66% of kids say we're the ones too plugged in, not them. <laughs> so they're watching us at a restaurant, always looking at our cell phone and mm -hmm. not them. Yeah. We all have to take it. It's a good a point. A digital detox. Mm -hmm. uh, have, a, have a nothing but um, uh, just a basket at home. And your basket is here's where we're all gonna put our cell phones in and we're gonna identify the time that are sacred unplugged times. Kids are the ones that tell us the answers. They say it's family meals. They say that it's also family time. They hate it when we're watching a movie together where it's inside out or we're watching Schindler's List and we're sitting on the couch and dad's on the cell phone and the kids are trying to have a connection. So it's all of us modeling together. It's not all of the time, but certain times. One of the neatest things I've seen schools do is, is actually have a time when you actually take a once a year where all the kids together go in and clean up their Facebook acts. They clean up their, uh, their uh, what their profiles look like. And when they do it together, they're more likely to not only collaborate, but understand, is that good for my reputation? Is that kind-hearted? Which one should I uh, you know, take a moment and say, not such a good idea? There's so many good ways to do this. I think the other thing to really think about is that one of the most wonderful ways that you can use the internet, we may not be using nearly enough. I am seeing a very big concerning trend that's happening with our kids, particularly our teens, and it's compassion fatigue. They're watching and viewing so many horrific images. I mean, if you were a kid, would you want to get out of bed these days from news that is just horrific to them from we're talking bombings live war feedings a f fear of nuclear attacks uh what nyu tells us is one of the best ways to elevate a child's heart is always in the back page of the newspaper or google alerts of really wonderful good stories that are about inspiring kids who are making a difference many teachers are using those each day to start the day did you hear about this cool kid in your state, who is uh, Christian Bucks, who's got the buddy bench going, and there he is. He solved a problem because kids were feeling excluded out on the playground. Look, here's his photo. Here's his one-minute YouTube tape. Let's hear how he can make a difference. And what the research says, it inspires the rest of the kids to go, hey, I can do the same kind of a thing. So education is something that's uh, pretty highly regulated. And as school leaders, uh, we see a lot of leaders that focus on those measurable things because that's what the system wants. And it's this very narrow idea of what achievement is and, and who our students are. So let's say we've got leaders who want to expand that definition of success to include more of these social emotional skills, these empathy skills. What advice would you give to leaders wanting to shift that conversation and wanting to include those you know, less easily measurable things into what we call our profile of a graduate. What advice would you have? 
Number one is change starts from education. So what we've got to do is help teachers get a buy-in that empathy matters. That's why many schools across the country are using Unselfie as a book club read aloud, not only for a week, but all year long. And by the way, I do have a, a free book discussion guide for educators that they're using to uh, just stop and have a dialogue. And it doesn't mean you're gonna stop and reinvent the wheel. Your first conversation is, why does it matter? Maybe it's ongoing email blasts of latest research that's coming in to just quick little points and nuggets to let teachers know this does matter. Or maybe it's a, a share table in your staff room that's just uh, a bulletin board of not only research that continues to keep telling us that this matters, but also some lessons or some children's literature books that matter. So first thing is keep the conversation going. Big mistake we do is we had that once a year back to school in service, and then we assume that everybody's gonna go implementing it tomorrow morning. We gotta keep fight the implementation dip and we gotta keep it live and well. But there's some other things that you could do. We miss the, the kinds of things that are already there that we can track. For instance, we do know that when we implement empathy, one of the things that we're more likely to see happen if we do it well and exercise our kids' kindness muscles is you'll see more pro-social behavior patterns. So look at your behavioral referrals. Look at uh, the suspensions. Look at expulsions. Look at what your kids are saying. Do focus groups with students. I swear that was single-handedly the most valuable thing I did when I was writing on Selfie is I, I interviewed about 500 kids and I'd always go to into a school and say before I talk to the teachers, just give me a few random kids that are verbal. I don't want your student council. I want your random kids that kind of represent each clique. And they'd always be fun. teaching us how to care for heaven's sake. And don't just do it as a one-shot deal. Keep going so we keep practicing it so we can figure out how to be calmer and cooler. Here's another one. Oakland schools. Habit number six in unselfie is self-regulation. If you don't help your kids manage emotions, stress builds, empathy wanes, and so SEL, once again, is going to go hand in hand with all of this. But Oakland had a problem, and that is they had a lot of kids in their Oakland schools who were faced with major trauma. We're talking gangs, shootings. And so, golly, when they came into your classrooms, no, they weren't focusing in on our dynamic lessons. So what a series of counselors did was decide what these kids needed was quiet time. 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes of the afternoon, and they've taught them mindfulness or meditation or just take a moment, don't do anything and veg. But what they discovered is because the kids were learning self-regulation as a habit, choosing whatever strategy that works, by the end of the year, something miraculous happened. Not only were the kids better behaved because they were tracking that, but golly, test scores went up, up, up to the point where they were going through the roof and they couldn't figure it out. Now all of Oakland schools are implementing self-regulation because not only does it boost academic achievement, it helps kids with behavior. It also is a critical piece for empathy building. So think about one thing that you want to take on this year, maybe one strategy or one behavior or one best practice, and then slowly begin to implement it. You know, Randy, the coolest thing I've ever saw was one principal, uh, it was Hilltop in, out in Washington. And I walked in there and I always tell principals, you know, I can stand in the parking lot 
and get goosebumps with some schools because I know the, the strength and the level of where they are in terms of implementation of safe and caring school initiatives and empathy. Well, they were over the top in terms of academic achievement, but also empathy and character. I asked the principal, how'd you get there? She says, oh, it took us about seven years. Mm -hmm. But what we did every year was take on one best practice, one good book club, read aloud. We'd all get on the same page together. But if it was cooperative learning, the brilliance that she did is take it on all year. So she'd run her faculty meetings with cooperative learning. So by the end of a certain period of time, because the principal was implementing it, the staff was now feeling more comfortable doing it, they were now more comfortable and more competent doing it with their students. And that's how they got the rise in their, their test scores and their behaviors. So the big takeaway from our conversation today for me is focusing on this idea of empathy, it impacts a lot of other aspects of the culture and then impacts how students mm -hmm. learn and what they learn. So this is, um, you talk about the empathy advantage. This is something that we can really implement uh, focus, an intentional focus on empathy to give our schools and our school cultures and our children that advantage. And I'll add to that, Randy, that it's if it's something we want to do and we, we need to model the way, you know, as parents, as, as leaders, as teachers, and we need to know that this is a, a long-term game. Like this is something that's going to take us time, opportunities for practice and sharing information. So um, certainly very doable. And you, Michelle, explained some very important reasons why all of our schools should be making this effort to help students develop the empathy advantage. I think the other thing is weave it in, don't tack it on. And mm -hmm. many schools, when they say, where do I start? It's, it's looking at, for instance, the nine habits in Unselfie, asking ourselves which ones are we already doing, which ones are gonna resonate most with our kids, go in any direction you want, but then maybe find one skill because empathy needs to be exercised. So it becomes an ongoing habit and the child finally learns whatever the habit is, whether it's deep listening or whether it's focusing or whether it's learning how to listen with feeling, whatever it is, it slowly and steadily becomes a habit. Many other schools are starting actually with habit number four, which is moral imagination, because it works in so perfectly. I think one of the coolest pieces of research that's come out is that uh, reading literary fiction not only boosts our kids here, but in their little heads, mm -hmm but also is one of the best ways to help them journey into another world. So revisit the kinds of books that you're exposing your kids to. You know, keep going with To Kill a Mockingbird. Keep going with Charlotte's Web because they are found and proven to elevate empathy as well as our children's literacy abilities. That was for me probably the most interesting of the habits too because I had never really thought about that. And to, to think, to make that connection to reading literature and, and having that process really feed uh, the empathy advantage for our kids, is, it was really fascinating connection for me. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, Randy, I'm connecting. This morning I read a story with um, a first grader that we're going to put on our TV show. And the pig was angry and the pig was, was sad. The pig was happy. And the first grader was able to look at look at the picture and really identify how that pig felt. So I'm making that connection. I think you're right. Our kids are naturally practicing that um, even when it's not explicit. So Michelle, what's next for you? What are you currently working on? We, you mentioned before we started that you have been very busy doing a lot of different things to share your knowledge. Uh, what are you working on now? 
Well, it's been it's been a really fascinating trek this whole year of going in and out of really hundreds of schools across the country. But uh, I also just came back from working with 8,000 teachers in the Philippines. They have more cell phones than people in the Philippines. So teachers are embracing this. I just came back working in, in Cairo. Uh, parents are very concerned there that empathy is dipping with their kids because of the fear factors going up with them. And I'm on my way uh, to do, I think, one of the most interesting things I'll ever be able to do. The Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi has invited me to come in and uh, share with uh, their leading experts and their own educators on how to develop moral education with empathy throughout all of Abu Dhabi schools. So that's going to be fascinating because it's making me really think one step more. What do we need to do in order to create a, a model but there's also a part of me going, oh, my golly, gosh, why do I have to fly 50 million miles across when we should be doing the same <laughs> thing in every across here? But uh, anyway, we'll have a model there because they're really taking this seriously and they want their students to have uh, success in their hearts as well as minds. That's the kind of graduate they're looking for. Listening to you talk about going to the, um, you know, crown prints around the world and how these ideas connect everywhere to everyone, whether you're a, long, a young learner, a teacher, a leader, a mom, a dad, you know, brother, sister, regardless of your role, Human. this is an empathy advantage for you. Human. Yeah. Like I'm just, I'm making so many connections and really thinking about this explicitly. You know what, Lynn, I think if there's one takeaway I've learned, this was the most incredible journey of my life. It's been really a 10 year process from the year 2000 on going, what's going on? But I realized it isn't just happening in the United States. It's happening every place in the mm -hmm. world I'm going to. And, I, and I've been now working on five different continents. Actually, I got to Ushuaia, I, the furthest down I could get south before I went into Antarctica. And every wow. single teacher says, this is a problem and it's a global problem. And we have got to really uh, shape up and realize that it is an issue. But it's also solvable. Uh, this is really well proven now that we can take this and integrate it into what we're already doing, teach habits of competencies. But we've also got to engage parents. So we're not trying to do this all ourselves as educators. And the fascinating thing is once I talk to parents in almost every school I'm at, I, I do a, a workshop with the school or the keynote with the teachers. And that evening I do with the parents, I'm actually asking parents to also bring their kids and the fascinating thing is the kids are going back and going, you should listen to her, mom. This is a problem, mom. Bless children. They always have the answers. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Michelle. Um, to learn more about Michelle's work, we have linked many items in the show notes, uh, the TED Talk that Randy um, referenced in Michelle's website. You can follow her on Twitter and there are a couple of other items, including the unselfie discussion guide uh, Michelle referenced. Each episode, we leave you with a couple of questions to think about with the idea of provoking some conversation. This episode's questions include, how will you shift your vision to provide all learners with the empathy advantage? And how might you engage parents as partners in this work? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or just find more resources and links, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season three, episode 12. That's all for now. We'll see you next episode for a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Thanks so much, Michelle. You're so welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye, Thank Lynn. you, Michelle. Bye-bye.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.